Alternative Radio. Hello there, folks, and thank you for listening to the show. I'm Joanna. I'm Nate, and we are Stranger Than. And this is our 100th regular episode. It's a lot of episodes. It is a lot of episodes. Episode 100. That's a that's kind of a big deal. Yeah. And we will be talking about something we've talked about before. This will be the fourth time we're talking about it, actually. This is uh, talking about people who have gone mysteriously missing and follow the parameters for a missing 411 case. That would be someone gets separated from a group, usually in the late afternoon or early evening. Oftentimes they'll do it near water, whether it be rivers or streams or just small lakes or whatever. Boulder fields are there fairly frequently as well. There will oftentimes, during the early stages of the search, some kind of weird weather event will occur. So like random fucking rainstorm or it'll get suddenly very foggy or something. People are oftentimes somehow disabled or sick. So either just have some sort of developmental disability or they have hurt themselves somehow. Canines brought into the area. They won't be able to track anything. They can't pick up a scent at all. If they are found, they're oftentimes found they're oftentimes found in an area that's already been searched. In fact, usually it's an area that's been searched quite extensively. They'll be missing some clothing. Weird clothes too, like I don't know, maybe a shoe or their pants or something. The cause of death is rarely able to be discerned. Even through after an autopsy, people are oftentimes like, I don't know. I guess they died of hypothermia, but there's no real evidence of hypothermia. But we just guess that's how they died. And the real big thing is the clustering. These disappearances disappearances happen in an area where many of these same sorts of disappearances happen in. And these are oftentimes in national parks. National parks, national forests, state parks. High elevation is another thing that sometimes comes to play. Also berries. A lot of times there's berries in the area. Berries for some reason or another are significant. Yeah. The man who put together this disappearance MO is David Polites. He's an ex-law enforcement officer and an author. I think he was a detective or something. Yes, but he was with the San Jose Police Department in California. A brief history is that he was at a national park one day and he was approached by a couple rangers who were like, hey man, all this crazy shit's happening. People are disappearing and no one has anything to say about it. And so he looked into it and he found that they were right. Uh, They just knew he was an author and so they hit him up. He's published many books and produces documentaries about it as well. The series is called Missing 411, and all of his stuff is available at his website, canammissing.com. So that's short for canadaamericamissing.com. He also has a YouTube channel now and and puts out videos uh, pretty regularly. So if you're interested in this, you should definitely check him out. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love Dave Pilates. Yeah. So let's uh, let's get into it. All right. I will. Uh, I'll start us off with a story about a little girl who went missing. Okay. 
Her name is Paige Wilson. She was eight years old when she disappeared from Flodell Creek Campground in Colville National Forest, about 20 miles east of Colville, Washington. It's in eastern Washington. It was on a Friday, August 20th, at about 4 p.m., when her family noticed she was no longer among the group of cousins that had been playing all afternoon. So there's a, at this campground, and there's all these kids running around doing kid shit, playing, and suddenly they notice that she's not amongst the kids doing kid shit. So they contact the National Forest officials, who contact the nearby Air Force Base to get some people on uh, helicopters to fly over. And they also contact the Spokane County Sheriff's. Uh, they bring in some bloodhounds from outside the county, and no one finds a goddamn thing. They don't pick up anything. The bloodhounds find nothing. They don't find a bit of clothing, nothing. It was Sunday at 8 a.m. that a friend of the family found her walking on the side of a dirt road about four miles from her camp. She was a bit scratched up on her arm, but otherwise just fine. A little cold, a little thirsty, a little hungry. It got down to the 30-degree temperatures over the 40 hours she was missing, and she was only wearing shorts and a t-shirt and then shoes, just wandering. According to her, she was just suddenly alone, and so she started walking. She saw a bear, and she slept next to some cows one night. She slept under a tree another night. Uh, She wasn't afraid, she said, and she said she didn't cry. But uh, yeah, they they found her, brought her back. She was pretty much okay. They took her to the hospital. She was treated for mild hypothermia and dehydration. And then the scratches on her arm were treated. They're just like sticker scratches or something. They she stayed the night, and went home the next day. Well, she's definitely uh, lucky, I would say. She's in the sense she's that one she of the was lucky found. Ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Found she's, alive. she's one of the lucky ones. But it's it's interesting what she says about how she was just suddenly alone. Yes. And I know she's eight at the time. This was in 2010, so she's not eight anymore. But still, like, to just disappear, I mean, that's... Or everyone just to disappear, you're just suddenly alone? That just seems strange. Yeah, it does seem strange. It's it's really weird. Um, now, back to Dave Polites. Before he did this, you know, Can-Am missing and the missing 411 before he really came, became super involved with that, he was someone who was uh, always on, on the search for Bigfoot. Yeah. Which I 100% believe in, like as we discussed on, a pre- on our big Bigfoot episode. Now, I had previously, I think, when we were first doing these four one, you know, missing four one one episodes, I I was under the impression that maybe Dave Polites thought Bigfoot had something to do with these disappearances, but he actually, I just in you know watching some of the documentaries and uh, reading some of his stuff, watching his YouTube channel. He does not feel that it's a cryptid or any one particular cryptid in general that is responsible for this. So, so he's come out there and said that it's uh, it's not a fucking Bigfoot or something that's taken people. Right, like that's not a giant that's, bird. That's not his belief. He does not believe it's a giant bird. Lots of people have written to him 
saying it must be a giant bird, and he's like, no, it's not a giant bird. Uh, from what I can gather, one of the theory, the theories that he has felt he can float out there is, you know, it's like my least liked theory, not because I uh, don't think it's valid. It's probably the most valid theory. I just like it the least because that involves like the possibility of having portals in certain areas. Oh, yeah. Where people, people just, just kind of like disappear into another dimension or who the fuck knows. And. Well, there have been stories about that sort of thing for ever. Mm-hmm. And there's the stories of people wandering into the fairylands and getting stuck there and all kinds of stuff like that. Yeah, so I think that's um, one of the things he, he tends to think might be might be going on. He said as much on one of his documentaries, his Missing 411 documentaries, when they were uh, looking for uh, their examining the guy i remember his first name was carl i don't remember his uh last name because i didn't take notes on it for this show but the guy disappeared on mount shasta in like this he was with two other climbers and it's like this completely open field like dave polites went out there with uh one of the people he works with to actually like hike the area and there's just nothing there it's like this open field and you can see for miles so this guy was just a little bit ahead of the other hikers and just disappears and nothing is ever found of him. And it was like 50 years ago, they didn't find a single bit of clothing or anything. And he's like, how, how could this have happened? Because yeah. I mean, uh, there's no way that he could have gotten that far ahead that he wouldn't have been able to be within sight of the two people behind him. Not even if he dropped to the ground. Right. Not even if he dropped to the ground. There's, there's just nothing. It's like so flat, the grass open, wasn't like tall grass. It was. It would have been uh, a little bit of snow, but just a little bit of snow. Oh, oh, right. Okay. Well, that's crazy. Not like deep snow, but it's just basically in the summertime when there's no snow, it's just like kind of like rock, like kind of loose rock and granite ground. And then at the time that they're there, there, there was a little bit of snow on the ground. I think several inches of snow, but not to where. Yeah. He could. He couldn't have. Yeah, yeah. It was like literally like the earth opened up and swallowed him up. So yeah, that'd be weird. Yeah, and of course, I mean anyone who's listened to us often enough knows that I hate the idea of <laughs> other worlds and dimensions and other dimensions, different universes, different universes. Oh God, yeah. yeah. No, I just yeah, you know. I just really dislike the idea of it. It's not because I again, not because I don't think it's. Uh, not outside the realms of possibility. I, I absolutely do. But that's just, I mean, that's just awful. The idea of your loved one just disappearing like that. and Right, just gone. And just gone. No trace. And, and then, like, where did they go? What's it like in the other place? Is it like the upside down place? Uh, I mean, <laughs> like... Is it exactly the same, but ever so slightly different? Yeah, like, what's there? Like, that's just Is totally... Is that the Mandela effect? Yeah. <laughs> People are just stumbling in through, through portals. And it's like, I don't know. <laughs> And doppelgangers, you know? Yeah. It's like, oh, in this universe, the the Berenstein Bears is spelled this way. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah. So, I don't know. It it seems legit to me. Yeah, I mean. Because there's really not a whole lot of, uh, I mean, there's just nothing else that can really explain some of these circumstances. They're they are definitely weird. 
Unless oh, we want yes. to get into like invisible aliens or something like that. I don't know. Which maybe I mean, that really... could also be going on. I mean, it's not like anyone knows for sure and can prove anything. This is no. <laughs> the only people that know are likely the people that are gone, that right? Disappear, that right. Yeah. And uh, oftentimes they're either they're not telling. According to the little that little girl, she just was suddenly kind of alone, and mm-hmm. so she started walking. Well, see that right there. I mean, that that's kind of one of those things where, yeah, like, one second she's playing with her friends, the next second she finds herself, like, totally alone. It's strange. Yeah. And I know kids can kind of, uh, you know, zone out, and but when there's a bunch of them, having to, everyone just, like, ditch her, and it's just, it seems, it seems weird. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely weird. Well, on our last episode of the missing 411 cases, I talked about the case of Jacob Gray. Now, he had gone missing out of Olympic National Park in April of 2017. And I had actually come across the missing sign for him when I was at Olympic National Park about a month after that. And then about a year after he had disappeared is when we did that episode. And at the time, he had not been found. He had last been seen on April 5th, 2017, leaving Port Townsend on his bike. And he was in the Olympic National Park for a bit and I guess had a plan to eventually bike across the country from Washington to Vermont. On April, yeah. <laughs> on April sixth, his bike and trailer. So he like towed a little trailer with his bicycle. His bike, trailer, and most of his gear had been found about uh, six and a half miles up the Soul Duck Hot Springs Road, but no trace of Jacob had been found. When the search was going on, uh, Jacob's parents had noted that among the things missing from the from what was found was a camelback backpack that had like a water pouch inside of it and also a water filter. And police and searchers had felt had found what they thought to be uh slip marks on the uh, on some moss on a rock next to the Solduck River and thought that maybe he had actually slipped into the river. And they thought what they they found some track marks going from the other side of the river from where he they thought he had fallen in, and they just led into the woods and disappeared. And so that was all that they found that maybe he had fallen into the river, but it seemed like he had managed to get himself out and just walked off into the woods and subsequently disappeared. Which is odd. I mean, if you could. You're just over the river. I feel like if you were not trying to walk into the wilderness, you could just, you know, get back over and get back to your bike and carry on with your hot spring adventure. Right. Well, he was found about uh, three months after we did the the episode. He was found on Friday, August 10th, 2018. So uh, his remains, uh, his wallet, his clothing, and gear were found near the top of the ridge above Ho Lake. Uh, it's about 
5,300 feet above sea level and uh, about 15 miles from where his bike and trailer had been found the year prior. Wow. And that's all uphill, right? Yes. Yeah, so way high up there above uh, Hole Lake. They had used dental records to confirm the identity of his body and because it was basically just skeletal remains. And there was no evidence of any foul play. There was food found at the site, but no evidence that he had been camping in the area. His death was presumed to be hypothermia, but he did have insulated clothing. So they found his remains, but didn't really find any answers as to how he ended up 15 miles from where his bike had been found. Did he fall into the river? Did he not? It seems like, I mean, maybe that was somebody else that did that. Possibly because he had, he did have food with him. So he had some gear and food with him. So it seemed like he had intentionally gone up there. And, but yeah, as to what happened to him and why he died. Yeah, unknown. just unknown. Unknown. Unknown, undetermined. It, it it does get cold up there, even in the summertime, but... Yeah, he did have insulated clothing. He had lots of food. By all means, should have been fine. Mm-hmm. No, uh... no, no evidence could be found of uh, any, any, you know, traumatic injury. But it's pretty hard to tell when you're only working with skeletal remains. Yes, but at least there's no broken bones. Yeah, no no broken bones. So if he had an accident, it didn't involve a broken bone. So I guess that's probably why they just presumed that it was hypothermia. Yeah, what else are they going to do? But there really is, there's really no real answers. Still, I mean, that's all of these things. I mean, mm-hmm. pretty much if they're found. Except for that first girl. Right. And there's yeah. been several where it's been kids where they completely disappear and, and they're found like so many miles from where they disappeared from, like miles that are literally impossible for a a kid to travel in the amount of time that they are missing. I mean, little kids, like 18-month-old yeah. kids like, and shit yeah, like, like that. toddlers. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, another story here is of Joseph Wood Jr. He went missing Thursday, July 8, 1999 at around 2 p.m. from Mount Rainier National Park in Washington State. He was from New York and he was in town uh, for for Unity 99, which was a conference for journalists of color. He was a journalist from, I think he was like out of Yale or something, and he was super fancy and he did all kinds of fancy things, and he was pretty well known. He, uh, for the time, I guess. He was also a bird watcher, as one would is is sometimes, I guess. 
Uh, and he wanted to get some of the bird watching action happening while he was in town because there's a lot of birds around here. So he showed up Wednesday and had dinner with some friends where he told them that he was going to attend a news conference breakfast for some guy who tried to run for president but didn't because Al Gore got to. So this was the first time George W. Bush won. And then headed to Mount Rainier National Park to watch some birds. Uh, they found his car, his rental, and it was at the Nisqually entrance, which is the southwest entrance. And the receipt in his car indicates that he arrived at that entrance at 12.29 p.m. And he parked in a Longmire parking area, which is closest to that particular en entrance. Now, his plan was to go to Mildred Point, which is actually considered a strenuous trail. It's a five-and-a-half-hour, 6.6, which is nearly 11 kilometers, long trail that reaches an elevation gain of 3,000 feet. So he's going up 3,000 feet from where the trailhead is. The trail is impassable during the winter and early spring because there's so much snow. So it's a pretty... It's a, it's a pretty crazy place. There's a place called Rampart Ridge Trail, which is 800, 1,800 feet up, so about halfway up. And that's the last place anyone saw Joseph Wood Jr. Some guy named Bruce Gaumond happened upon him there. He was heading down while Joseph was heading up. And they just like exchanged pleasantries like, oh, what kind of birds did you see? Because apparently he was a bird watcher too. What? what, what What's the chances of running into a, another bird watcher in that part of town? Um, I don't bird watch at all. Good. I mean, do do you know anyone who likes to do bird watching? No, no, no. I mean, I've watched birds, but I wouldn't call myself a bird watcher. Yeah, it's an interesting hobby. It sounds like it, I guess. I just I hate know. birds in general, so I tend to not watch them except in like apprehension. Yeah, I, is it going to get me? Cause, yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're going to come fucking peck my eyes out, or they're going to shit on me. Or, or both. Or First give me some other. horrible disease. I mean, birds oh, yeah. have so much fucking disease. They're so gross. That's true. That They're dirty, filthy animals. <laughs> they are disgusting. Pigeons especially. Foul, filthy animals. Pigeons are pretty smart, though. Yeah, they're smart, but they're disgusting. The uh, city pigeons. I'm sure country pigeons are just fine, but city animals are just as gross as humans. And that's fucking filthy because they don't, like, shower and stuff. Yeah. Although some humans don't shower either. That's true. That's a fair point. Anyway, uh, Gaumond. He finds another and... bird watcher. Fellow bird enthusiast. Yep. They, <laughs> you know, chatted a little bit. And then Gaumond told Wood, he was like, hey, man, you can't go any." further up this trail after about 10 or 15 minutes because there's a whole shitload of snow and there's these uh, snow bridges. And a snow bridge is exactly what it sounds like. It's a bridge that's formed from snow. So a snow drift will come and it will create what's called a cornice, which is a fancy term for when the snow hangs over the edge of like a crevasse or something. It happens oftentimes on rivers because the river water will be flowing and the snow will slowly make a bridge, but won't you know fall away to the ground because the water's running or whatever. Not overly safe to walk on because it's just snow. Yeah, it seems like that could collapse quite easily. Yes, and it, it can take some time, but it can span rivers, crevasses, just any other obstacles. At any rate, again, not safe. 
and there was one apparently up ahead on the trail. Two days later, his friend Somini Sengupta, reporter for the New York Times, filed a missing persons report. He hadn't returned to his hotel room. He was not answering his cell phone. Uh, it took until Monday for them to find his car at Longmire. And until they actually heard from Gaumann, who just happened to read about the missing man in the newspaper, on July 15th, they had no clue where he had gone. On Friday the 16th, with this new information from they were now they had a, a place they could search. They knew where, knew where to, their search was going to start. They had an idea. They, had a, they, were, they were stoked. They are going to get this done. Then a heavy rainstorm blew in, and it made it completely impossible to search. And they decided that, I mean, it was pretty much impossible that anyone could survive for this long in those conditions. So they called off the search. Because he was presumed dead at that point. Exactly. Well, the parents called the then-Washington Governor Gary Locke for more air support. And the National Park Service held a press conference saying, why they were scaling back the efforts, but then from all the pressure, they just ended up sending out a bunch of helicopters, some dogs, and some people. They didn't find shit. No tracks, no scents, no clothes, no nothing. As a youth, Wood had been a Boy Scout, so scoff as some may, being, becoming an Eagle Scout is some serious shit, and you do know useful things. You do. My son is an Eagle Scout, and he knows all sorts of useful things for wilderness survival. Yeah, I mean, it would be definitely good to have that information. And so, and it's not just stuff that you like learn or do like at like you know summer camp in like you know fairly nice settings. He had to do like several camping trips out to Mount Rainier, and you know in the snow like. You're sitting yeah. at like a snow table with your little snow benches, and I mean, it was not always pleasant. It was summertime. not <laughs> wear shorts and look at you know birds. It was <laughs> no, it was it was uh, early spring up in Mount Rainier. Basically, like just as soon as you could get there, but there's still a shit ton of of snow up there. And, oh yeah, and yeah. So I mean, they, they're pretty hardcore about um, teaching them those. Uh, wilderness survival tactics, I would say. So it was, I mean, he had a fighting chance. And now his parents believe he was murdered, but there's no evidence of that. And, I mean, there's no evidence at all. He was never found. Gone. Poof. Which is, at this point in the episode, you should know that. I mean, that's just <laughs> how it is. I mean, these, it's, it's... They just are gone. Yeah, they're either gone, never uh, to be found again, never seen again, or even if they are found, um, more questions than answers. Yeah. For sure, about the whole thing. And we don't know anything more than anyone else does. Nope, not at all. I mean, Dave Dave Pilates is probably one of the, the leading experts on, on these cases, and he, he freely admits that no clue. Yeah. Uh, there's the case of Patrick Amon. He was hiking with Damon Baker and Danny Finch. I believe they're all in their 40s. Patrick was at least 40, so I imagine these guys were right around the same age. They were hiking in the foothills below Mount Lassen National Park looking for arrowheads. This was June 15, 2012. It's in Northern California. It's kind of halfway between San Francisco and 
Oregon, kind of, maybe a little bit, maybe two-thirds of the way up. Yeah, it's one I've wanted to see, but I, I haven't gotten to yet. I've gotten to a lot of the California National Parks, but not Mount Lassen. And I think that's north of the Sierra Nevadas. I don't think it's part of the Sierra Nevadas, or is or is it like the very north end of them? Uh, I'm not sure. I feel like there's uh, there's volcanic rock. Yes, it there, is. So maybe so it's got to be near a mountain. Then, yeah. At any rate, it's it's near a mountain range. <laughs> yeah, these guys were looking for arrowheads. At one point, kind of late in the afternoon, the three decided to split up. Folks, don't split up. Patrick went one way, the other two went another way. They're going to meet up back at their cars later on. Well, Eamon didn't show up. And so they called the Forest Service, and the search began. June 15th was a Friday. And through the weekend, the Tehama County Sheriff's Department, along with the California Highway Patrol helicopters, civilian volunteers, and dogs, searched for this guy. They found a few footprints. That was it. Eight days later, on June 23rd, relatives of the missing man hired a private helicopter. They flew back over to see what they could see. What they found was a suspicious group of birds on the ground. Like a weird flock. Huh. So they sent someone to go check it out, and they found a body. The area was found under heavy brush, and the only sign of anything being there were the scavenging birds. He wasn't really very far off the roadway, though, only about 200 yards. And it was only about 100 yards from where he and his friends had parted way. They had searched this area so much because it was right where the, it was the last place they'd seen him at all. So, of course, they're going to search the shit out of the area. Had he been hurt or something, he could have called out. They were calling his name. They, he could have heard it. He could have said something. He could have, if, if, you know, he'd been there the whole time or whatever. They also, he had all of his personal effects on him. He had his wallet. It had cash in it. Credit card identification, all that shit. They don't know how he died. The As of 2013, when the source material was published, the coroner's office had yet to, to provide a cause of death. And probably it's just going to end up being undetermined. If they, I mean, that was in 2013. Yeah. And I looked and I was unable to find any more information on him. Yeah. So. I mean, that's... That's usually what they put when, you know, obviously they can't determine anything like, you know, accident, yeah. uh, you know, undetermined accident. But right there, just walking all around, they, they were in the area, 100 yards from where he parted, parted ways, 200 yards from the road. I guarantee you these guys were probably walking through all the brush and shit because normally how they set up these search, they set up like a grid mm-hmm. and then people walk on a, in a line down the grid and they, you know, stomp on shit and call out names and all that kind of stuff. and then. They flip, 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 you know, they, they kind of flip the line around and go the other direction. And then once they've done it in a vertical pattern, they then will do it in a horizontal pattern. So it's baffling that with dogs and people and air support that they couldn't find it. And then their family members come across them. And a lot of times the air support will involve uh, use of like, 
infrared cameras. Yeah, yeah. They should be able to to find like the heat signature from damn near anything. Yeah, from a mouse, maybe Mm -hmm. I don't know. (laughs) So the idea that that just there there seems to be nothing there until suddenly a body just turns. Yeah, until suddenly there is in a weird place, crawled in there. That looks like it crawled in into under the brush, so it wasn't set down in the brush, but it was as if. Had crawled in there. I mean, what the hell is that? Yeah. Who crawls in the bush and then just dies? The last story I have is of Todd Hofflander and his dog Ruby. Those two and another human friend, they went on a four day hunt. It was on September 27th, 2010, near the wilderness, in the wilderness near Riggins, Idaho, when the two humans went separate ways to meet up at a river. Todd had a bum knee or he had fucked up his knee like before he came out so he didn't want to i imagine he didn't want to walk uphill because he went downhill to reach the river and then the other human probably went uphill or whatever about halfway down the river there's a place called mcafee cow camp and a person reported seeing todd but todd never made it to the river so when he, he didn't show up his friend called the forest service and they called the local sheriff's department, and again, a search ensued. They searched, and they searched, and they searched. They couldn't find a trace of Hofflander, couldn't find a trace of his dog. Nothing. Not, not a dog shit, nothing. Three days after the search was called off, Ruby shows up, his black lab. She's just in, on the eastern slope of Seven Devils Mountain, some hikers find her. This was also the area that they were when they disappeared. It was also the area that was searched thoroughly. Ruby was always next to Todd. She was that dog that was just always right there. You know, you inseparable. Probably brought her to work with him. The dog would never leave his side, and they found that dog. So if he was laying there injured, that dog would be, like, right there next to him. That dog would be right there next to him. I imagine that... would be that, like, oh, well, you're not walking anymore. Fuck you, like, guy. Fuck you. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And I imagine because of it being a dog hurt probably trying to, you know, do something to help too, like pulling a lassie, running off and trying to find someone, then running away, you know, trying to lead people back. Dogs can do that shit. Dogs can be pretty smart. Yeah. Well, labs are very smart dogs and they're very uh, loyal and loving dogs. They're one of the, I'm, I'm not a huge dog person, but I do really like labs. Like I've always said that that's, the one kind of dog I would ever get would be like a, a female yellow lab or some kind of lab. Yeah, they're, uh, they're because good the, dogs. those are the only dogs that I've ever really um, had experience with in my life that I really, really liked the particular dog and found them to be very, quite agreeable. Yeah, quite agreeable, quite an agreeable dog. I still don't have a dog just yet, not because uh, it's just you know. Dogs are a lot, a lot of, of work. They are a lot of work, <laughs> and uh, you know they're they're just very needy and needing to be cared for a lot. Like I could I can go out of town and find somebody to come and check on my cats every couple of days. Easy, yeah, but you'd super have to take easy. The dog, but they either have to take the dog with you, or somebody has to be basically at your house like all the time. A dog sitter, yeah, you definitely need a dog sitter because your dog has to be walked like multiple times a day and. Yeah, it's just, I'm just not quite ready to be that tied down yet. 
It's like I've well, had three was, kids. That's enough. <laughs> that's, yeah. Don't need anything really hard to take care of like a dog. <laughs> well, he was never found. None of his gear. No remains. Only the dog. And I believe that is one of the one of the weird things that happens a lot is is people go missing with their with their dog. Fortunately, this one got to go home. Yeah, but it's 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 in a lot of the the cases, which is unusual because usually when you have a dog with you, that because of the reasons you said, I mean, like a lot of they're very smart; they can pick up scents. They could probably, yeah, if, yeah. if you were laying injured somewhere, if the dog did lead your side, they could probably uh, lead whoever they came across back to you. So one would think that having a dog with you would make you less likely to disappear. But it, but when you're talking about these strange, unusual cases, uh, that there's, but there's been a lot where people were out with their dog, and sometimes the dog is found, and sometimes the dog is not found. But but usually, I mean, it's rare that they find the corpse. Normally, it's just mm-hmm. gone. Yeah. And now, none of these, they're not even finding signs of predators who have attacked these. And that's something people may think about. There's never, predators don't kill clean. Right. They would be a goddamn mess if a wild cat, say a cougar, attacked them. It would tear their guts out and eat them right on the spot and maybe pull the corpse up into a tree. Bear? I mean, they're not going to... Maybe, I mean, they're, they're going to eat what they want, but then probably just, I don't know, bear stuff things in trees or not. But it would be blood everywhere. It would be a, it would be a horror show. Yeah, there's, usually when there's an animal attack, there's a lot of um, evidence that points to it. Um, these cases are a select few when, and as far as Dave Polites and his, uh, you know, Can-Am Missing the the stuff that he investigates it it has to meet a certain set of criteria where all these other things have um you know been looked for and eliminated and one of those is like there's no evidence of an animal attack people get killed by predators people get lost and you know have accidents out in the wilderness or meet with foul play somehow that that happens quite a lot these are the ones where all the reasons that you, that, you know, are, that someone would usually die out in the wilderness or disappear on the wilderness, all the, the reasons have, I don't know, all the traditional, uh, reasons for that happening, I guess, for lack of a exhausted. better term, have been exhausted. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, with animals, you're going to have drag marks, you're going to have blood. A lot of times they have, if they have found, um, animal scat like basically animal shit in the area they've tested it and have found no you know human remains in it so these cases are when everything else that within the realm of possibility has been eliminated and it it really makes up a really tiny percentage of cases where people go missing or or die out in the wilderness it's just so it's these, still a chunk of people. It's still it's thousands still, of people. It's still a chunk of people. And one of the things that's odd about this is how the national parks have not kept like a like a list of people that have gone missing 
and there was no like cent- centralized missing persons list within the national parks or the national forest service and when Dave Pilates was trying to find out about all these disappearances initially, he was met with a lot of pushback as far as obtaining records and information about these missing people. Now, he's published several books, and there's been a couple of the the documentaries and the you know TV shows. So I think now... Now that the public is a little bit more aware of it than they were, I don't know. I think he started this in like 2011, 2012, something like that. I think 2011. Yeah, 2011. So in the last 10 years, it's become much more known about about these strange disappearances. So I noticed when I was going back and and looking over the, the cases that we had already covered, um, that the National Park website has a cold cases page. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> they actually have a cold cases page, although the list is not comprehensive at all. Yeah. I think I, I th- would imagine not. It's more like, uh, you know, here's here's twenty cold cases, but they do uh they do have a list now, although it's only about like I said, twenty people long, so. So better than before. Yeah, better than before. <laughs> I mean, barely, but still. Barely, but still. I think it's estimated that maybe there, there's probably, like, I think about like 1,200 or so cases that fall into this category of, you know, we just don't know what the fuck. I think it's more than that now. I think it's closer to like 2,200 or something. But still. There is quite a few people who have just sort of disappeared, (laughs) seemingly disappeared off the face of the planet. And sometimes their corpses get put back. And sometimes they don't. And no one is ever the wiser as to what actually happened. Well, here's one that's out of one of uh, Dave Pilates' books. This is out of um, Missing 411 North America. And beyond. North America and beyond. So this is the disappearance of Richard Lee. He disappeared September 9th, 2004 at Kolchuk Lake in the Wenatchee Okanagan National Forest in Washington. He was hiking alone on a trip that was going to take two days. He had been in contact with his brother by cell phone. Uh, he was, you know, I mean, it was September, early September, so the, the weather was, was still nice. He failed to check in and come home when he was supposed to on the day that he had told his wife, but she actually didn't worry for another couple of days because huh. apparently it was just not unusual. He liked to kind of, he liked to be off trail. He was, he was pretty uh, active. Uh, active outdoorsman so she didn't really um get too concerned when he didn't come back right on the day that he was supposed to and just figured he might have wanted to just take another couple of days yeah yeah i guess that makes sense if that's you know what he was down with usually then hey yeah it wasn't it wasn't outside of the norm of his usual behavior Eventually, though, after a couple more days, she did 
pro concerned and notified the authorities and they began a a massive search went underway uh, eventually his car was found and his campsite and his campsite was pretty off the beaten path so it did take uh, several days i believe for them to find his campsite his sleeping bag was found his tent his food was found and it was it was in a tree so that bears couldn't get a, at it so usually kind of tie it up in a sack and then hang it from a limb yeah and then no no critters can get to it mm-hmm. except for maybe like a wily raccoon yeah oh man raccoons can be very wily when yes, it comes to <laughs> getting your food bastards uh my son on one of his com- uh, on one of his scout campouts he had a he had a coleman like a really nice uh coleman cooler that had like a you know just a, a rather complicated latch i mean it was pretty tight and hard for like a human to undo you had to you know apply some pressure in order to you know flip it up and and open the thing yeah i mean it had like a lever kind of where yeah i mean it was just something you wouldn't think an animal could get into but a fucking raccoon did and just like took everything out of it like the next morning it was just all scattered around the campground the the raccoon like left the you know the celery or whatever like greens were in there (laughs) to eat that but like all the eggs and bacon and meat and stuff yeah just like score Uh uh-huh i think there was some like i think maybe there was some like lettuce that was in there or something like that and that (laughs) fucking raccoons left that behind (laughs) but yeah it was like fuck that shit yeah i'm taking me some bacon bacon. (laughs) yeah got bacon that's funny yeah but it was yeah Pretty crazy that this uh, that these raccoons were actually able to undo the latch of that cooler. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> cunning little bastards. They are cunning, and they can be pretty aggressive. We used to get raccoons back in my house in Winville, and they'd come on the porch all the time. And I mean, you could make a lot of noise at them, and they they would kind of back off, but just kind of like to the outskirts of of the porch, like. Yeah. Like, it was clear that I was not really scaring them. No, they were city raccoons. They were like, like, okay, I'll kind of, like, move away slowly a little bit, but then I'm just going to sit here and stare at you once I'm, like, a certain distance away from you. Like, I'm not not just going to go running off into the woods. They make these arrows that have just a blunt tip. It's actually used for shooting your friends with. It's like Mm -hmm. like a large blunt tip. Start shooting that at the raccoons. It wouldn't hurt them, but it would certainly scare the shit out of them. Back to Richard's campsite. Everything was found in the tent. Everything was very neat. There was no evidence of anything that had gone awry as far as, you know, an animal attack, an attack by another person. No Dyatlov pass busting out of the fucking no, he didn't, uh, tent yeah, with he a didn't, knife. Yeah, he didn't cut himself out of the tent. Nothing like that. However... The people that were doing the the search, several of them reported being really uncomfortable in the area of his tent. Interesting. One guy told Dave Pilates that he yeah he just had this uh, extreme, you know, weird feeling, and that you know he 
had heard of other people having strange feelings in the woods, but that this was the first time he had personally had felt something was definitely wrong just in the general area. It's one of those things where like the hair just like goes up on the back of your neck. There's no evidence of anything weird that happened there. Everything is just how he left it. But this one guy just, you know, just felt so uneasy and weird. Yeah. Around his tent. He couldn't and he just couldn't explain why he felt that way. Richard was has never been found to this day. So presumably still out there somewhere, although he may be somewhere else. With the rest of the people that disappeared. Yeah. Portal someplace hanging out with Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. I have one more story. And this story was featured in one of the Missing 411, like the movie. And uh, interesting side note, I guess uh, Dave Polite's son, Ben, uh, helped like direct that movie. So, Oh, nice. Yeah, you should give it a watch. Uh, yeah, well, I was, it, I was going to, good. but I, uh, just, I watched The Hunted One. Yeah, The Hunted One is good. So there's three... Movies, and I think I was mistaken earlier when I said the the story about Carl, just like you know, the one that just completely like disappeared and seemed to be swallowed yeah, up yeah. by the mountain. That was in Vanished. So he's done a, a documentary called Vanished, where it looked at, I believe, two different cases: Carl's case and maybe another one. Well, definitely another one, but I don't know if there was any other besides those two. And at then, least those two. Yeah, at least those two. And then there is the missing 411, The Hunted, which was uh, talked about some cases of hunters going missing. And then there was Missing 411, The Movie. And so Missing 411, The Movie is uh, where this case first came to mind. And the reason that I thought this case was interesting was that there were some parallels to other cases that we've done uh, in. Uh, I believe our first missing people episode. So it kind of got my attention because I was like, that's interesting. That happened in another case. So, yeah, well, that's kind of the thing with these things is <laughs> yeah, all very, there's, very there's, similar. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of uh, parallels and parallels and similarities that yeah. seem I'll to come it. up over <laughs> and over again. This is the disappearance of three-year-old Jared Atadero. Alan Atadero lived and he owned and operated a resort with his twin brother Arlen in the Padre Canyon near Rocky Mountain National Park. And on October 2nd, 1999, his son Jared, who is three years old, and his daughter Jocelyn, who is six years old, they went with about 11 members of the Christian Singles Network who had been staying oh. at the resort. So they knew how to party. <laughs> Big partiers. Yeah, I'm, sh I'm sure. Well, originally the plan was they were just going to take his six-year-old daughter and they were just going to go a couple of miles up the road to a fishery to check that out. And so little Jared had wanted to come along because his big sister was going along. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, so, I mean, and that's typical. And, and so Jared had kind of come to Alan and been like, well, Jocelyn gets to go. Can't I go, too? And 
you know, one of the members said like, yeah, we can bring him along. We'll, we'll keep an eye on him. And so he put the kid's shoes, shoes on. He hated having his shoes tied apparently. So he didn't tie them. He just kind of slipped them onto his feet and sent him off with the other members of the, the group and his daughter. And at some point they decided instead of doing the fishery, they were just, they were going to go and do a hike instead. And the area that they were going to hike at was about, it was called the Big South Trail, and it was about 15 miles west of the resort. So instead of just going a couple miles up the road and looking at this fishery, they decided like, oh, hey, let's go on this big arduous hike and bring these two little kids along. Let's drive out that 15 miles. Like a blast. Yeah, and I mean, the hike itself is about an 11-mile hike. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, you have a three-year-old kid with you. Like, <laughs> right? Like, what the hell? When I was, I mean, when I've, when my girls were younger and I would go to national parks, I mean, any hike um, that was, like, more than a mile was, like, a no. Yeah, like a hard no. Like, yeah. Nah. Because I just knew, like, this this. this was not going to, like, end well. Especially with, like, Olivia, who, you know, did not like to be in that element very much in the first place. Right. And it's like, okay, this cannot be too strenuous. It's already, like, enough that she's out and away from her electronic devices. And, yeah. Like, Like, Already, I'm, try, like, I'm trying to enjoy edge. myself, but make it, yeah, but make it as manageable as possible. And yeah, any, any trail that was going to be like longer than a mile. And I mean, that has to be like a mile total. <laughs> that was just right, like, like a no. Round trip, one mile. Right. Now, even when you're dealing with a kid that's like not on the spectrum, I would still not do something that was. No, not with a three-year-old. Not with a three-year-old. And even a six-year-old. I mean, 11 yeah, miles. No I don't want to carry all of that. I, I mean, you'd, you'd be carrying both those kids. Right. And I'm not sure, like, where this, the Christian singles uh, group, like, I mean, if they lived nearby, I know they were staying at the resort for a time, but I'm not sure how local they were. Like, Colorado is fucking high. Yeah. It's, yeah, the it really elevation is. is high. And I guess when you live there, you get used to it. But, I mean, it's just like, dude. Most adults, I mean, I wouldn't go out on that 11-mile hike. Not when I'm already, like, no. 8,000 feet elevation. <laughs> no, not at all. When we went to Glenwood Springs, and I wanted to go see Doc Holliday's grave, yeah. I mean, it was about a 1,000 more climb over a mile and a half, and that was, like, exhausting to me. And it was exhausting to Olivia, too. She did get a little bit pissed, but that was, you know, that was just a couple years ago. She's a little bit older. <laughs> and I was just like, no, we're seeing this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, yeah, she told me how the... suffer. Yeah. <laughs> she was like, this hike takes my breath away and not in a good way, is what she told me. <laughs> You're like, yeah, <laughs> no shit, kid. This literally takes my breath away. <laughs> and it took my breath away, too. <laughs> that yeah. is... It, I mean, it was hard. It was a hard hike, and that was just uh, about a mile and a half round trip. And the the up part, yeah, that's really hard when you're that high up in elevation. So I'm just, I mean, I'm sure this is something where, I mean, nobody intended for anything bad to happen. But oh no, 
Obviously. Maybe these kids were hardcore and could take it. I mean, I maybe, know. but it maybe they had like wagons or something. <laughs> that I, mean, I don't know. It, I mean, it was some pretty rough terrain, and the I guess the trail at times was uh, could only be might only be like twenty four inches wide. So this is something where there's steep drop offs. So you have to really hang on to the kids, and it's fucking eleven miles. Yeah, wow. I That's mean, insane. like, who just decides to do that with like two kids? Like, I don't know. Yeah. I would. I would not. I would not at all. But that was the idea about a mile and a half up the trail is the last time Jared is seen. He is spotted by two fishermen. He stops and talks to them. The group, I guess, had kind of split up into a slower going group and a faster going group. And I think there was maybe one adult that was kind of responsible for jared and his sister jocelyn and jared was kind of running ahead so it's unsure whether he was like in between the two groups like there was the faster group that was ahead or if he was like ahead of the faster group if he was like in between the fast and the slow or just ahead of the faster group now the fishermen could see people like a group of people just about like 80 to 100 feet behind him so they wouldn't really think anything of it. Yeah, oh, he must belong to them. Yeah, he must belong to, to these guys, and he's just kind of, you know, running up ahead. And I guess he had asked if there were any bears in the area. <laughs> <laughs> and that is the, and, he, you know, after they talked to him for a second, he continued to run up, and, uh, you know, the other folks were, were kind of trailing behind, and that's the last any of them saw him now the adult that i guess was kind of watching out for him after about 10 or 20 minutes kind of realized that she hadn't seen him in a while and but they just kept going thinking at some point they're going to catch up to him right but then they never did and at that point when they kind of realized like hey like we haven't caught up to this kid he can't be you know we don't know what to do and we're really the fuck out here and somebody should probably let his dad know they went back down and drove out to uh to the resort where the dad you know kind of worked the the general store there okay and they went in and i think he had it was maybe his day off or something he was uh kind of like napping on the couch and he comes in and they said that there's a problem with jared and he said oh my gosh what happened did he fall down did he get hurt what what's going on and they're like no he's okay we just can't find him <laughs> Yeah. You got a fucked up way of saying he's okay. Yeah. It's like, well, if you can't find him, then he's pretty fucking not okay. How the fuck do you know he's okay? Yeah. And so he's, he's, you know, pulling his shoes on and, you know, getting his keys and like, where are we going? And they're like, oh, about 15 miles up the road. And he's just like, are you fucking kidding me right now? Like. Why the fuck is my kid? (laughs) Well, and like, I mean. You know, he said it was okay for them to go a couple miles up the road to the fishery. Like, what do you mean you decided to go 15 miles up the highway and then on this, you know, super long trail, like, way out in the middle of nowhere? Like, Right. Yeah. Um, Understandably so. Yeah, I mean, he was so upset, and I mean, I guess he was just, uh, he... States that I mean, he was just beaten at his chest and shouting and swearing and apologizing to his son and just you know, of of course, I mean, any parent would be just totally losing it on the way up. Just 
can't believe that this is happening. It's literally every yeah. parent's worst nightmare. Worst nightmare, yeah. So he gets there, and and that's kind of when he realizes that he's, he starts going up the trail, like like oh shit, like this is serious. Like he, there's so many places that he could be, and this is like deep out there. And so he phones the manager back at the resort to call nine one one. Well, the manager had already done that. Because oh well, that's good because yeah. he's not an idiot. Yeah. It's like okay, well, there's a missing kid. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna go ahead, and so he phones the manager and says, you know, you need to call for help because this is so much bigger than I imagined it to be. Yeah, where he's gone missing. So, and then the manager was like, dude, already on it. And they looked and looked and looked for this kid. I mean, obviously, it's a three year old boy. Uh. Just about everybody that was initially involved in the search really genuinely thought that they were going to find him. Yeah. Like, you know, he might be upset, he might be cold, I mean, but, you know, we're going to find him. We're going to find him huddled up and crying somewhere. and Next to a tree or something. Yeah, mm-hmm. Like, he is yeah. going to be found. He can't get that far away. Well, probably after about eight days of, like, 24-7 searching, like, searching by air, ground dogs you know just every search effort that you can do has been basically exhausted and there's like nothing yeah. nothing was found and so they had to call the search off about four years later june 4th 2003 two hikers uh was gary watts and Roz osborne they were hiking off trail they were going on a about 500 vertical feet and 1,050 lateral feet on the east slope above near the Camp 2 marker. And that's, short, and that's a little bit in the area of where he was last seen, except, like, straight up 500 feet vertically. They were on that same trail, and they came upon sneakers and clothing, child's clothing. And they knew kind of right away because it had been just all over the news four years yeah, previous. Yeah. And they they had a pretty good idea as to who those um those clothes belonged to. Over the next uh couple of days they so they take pictures of what they found and they took what they found and they took it to the sheriff's department. And subsequent searches would find the the rest of the clothing that they hadn't found, uh, that the two hikers hadn't found. And it was his pants, which were found inside out. And they were pretty degraded, so it was sweatpants, but it seemed that they had been picked apart a lot by birds for, for making nests. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. And and then also sitting out exposed to the elements. Now, it had his his like shirt jacket that he was wearing. And that seemed almost untouched. They thought they saw puncture marks on the shirt, but nothing definitive. I mean, those holes could have really been anything. It, they weren't. His clothing wasn't torn to shreds. There didn't seem to be any blood on the clothing. So kind of rules out predator attack. Yeah, I mean, to this day, they have ruled it uh, as undetermined probable mountain lion attack, but not everyone really buys that. Especially yeah, his really. shoes were found in, like, they almost looked brand new. 
I've seen pictures like of them stumbling through the fucking woods for any length of time. And also just sitting out exposed to the elements for four years. Yeah. Now, there's also that, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, like, way up high in the Rocky Mountains, so definitely something where there's a lot of snowfall and snow cover. I mean, when something's, like, wet for really long periods of time, I mean, it just falls apart and disintegrates. Pretty much, especially if it's, I mean, kids' shoes. Yeah. And I mean, they, things, they looked, like, sure. brand new. It it's It's really, really weird. And... So the the first, uh, so June 4th is when they first found a couple of pieces of clothing. And then on June 14th, uh, the searchers eventually found, like, the only part of him that they were going to find, which was his skull cap. Like, his actual skull, like the top part of his skull. And one molar. And those um, those two pieces were found an additional twenty feet up higher than what the than where the clothing had been found, and the clothing had already been found pretty high up. Like I said, it was like five hundred vertical feet, like up off the trail. So there's the trail he was on. He was seen near uh, the the sign for campsite two, which is where the fisherman had last seen him, but then. His clothing was recovered about 500 feet straight up from that point. And then another 20 feet up from that point is where uh, his skull cap and molar, one single molar, was found. That's a pretty strange story. Because the kid probably couldn't have got up there himself. Yeah, three years old. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a pretty uh, tough climb. And to find one tooth is also really strange because you'd think it'd be, honestly, you'd think it'd be all or none, but just Mm -hmm. one? Just one. And the, just the skull cap in itself, that's, that's odd. I mean, your, your skull is all one piece except for your jawbone because that's, that's attached by cartilage. And there wasn't any way to tell, like, you know, how that got to, to, to be that way where it was just like the top part of his skull. Yeah. That's. And what is weird about this case when I first, uh, you know, watched the program was it really reminded me of a couple of other cases that we had discussed in our, our first missing persons. Now the, the fact that they found that, that single piece of skull that was, that reminded me of, Charles McCuller, Crater Lake National Park. Now he yeah. was the, he was the 19 year old. He disappeared. He was found 12 miles from his car, and what would have been like uh, I think like four feet or six feet of snow at the time. So basically impossible for him to have gotten 12 miles through uh, six foot snowdrifts. Maybe with snowshoes. Maybe yeah. with snowshoes. Even with snowshoes, you couldn't have done it. They said even a snowmobile would not have been able to make it out there. Oh, so it's just, yeah, super duper remote? It, super duper remote, and then, yeah, just so much so much snow that it, it just would have been impossible for him to get out there to where he was eventually found. And 
His boots were never found. His it, He was the one where they just, there was the pants on the log and the socks within the pants with the foot bones in them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah and, and a single broken tibia sticking out of his pants, but that was it. And then they found part of his scapula, and then they found what was described as the crown of his skull. How does that, I mean... If something were to, to to like destroy the skull to get to the brain, that part would be like gone, like destroyed, not sheared off. Yeah. So that was what what kind of caught my attention was. It seems like in both of these cases that they find some or all of the clothing and just a couple little pieces, but it's just weird the 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 top of the skull. Like, I mean, if it was some other like random intact bone, like that wouldn't that wouldn't bother me as much as yeah, but the fact that, that they're just is... finding like the the top part of their skull and like no nothing else except no for just yeah the top part of the skull just the top part of the skull and for little Jared it was one molar and all of his clothes and then with Charles McCuller it was just his pants and socks a broken tibia some foot bones a tiny like one inch piece of scapula and the top of his skull. And then both found in pretty, uh, you know, hard to get to areas from where they initially disappeared. Another thing that is weird was the day after Jared went missing. So this is when they had not, you know, found him that first day. I mean, because it was late in the afternoon when when the you know search and rescue was was called and everything, and they. They, uh, everyone was kind of thinking like, oh, well, we'll find him at, you know, at some point before morning, we're going to find him. Well, next day that hadn't happened. So this is when they're really, you know, trying to get everybody mobilized and all methods of, of search available to them out looking for this kid. And that included uh, an aerial helicopter search of the area. and so. The helicopter goes, and it goes and gets fuel, and then upon returning to the mountain, it seems to have trouble, and then out of nowhere, just bam, starts losing altitude and crashes. Now, there's five people on board that helicopter, and fortunately, all of them survived. A couple of them had pretty serious injuries. Yeah, helicopter crashes are no joke. Yeah, no, they're not. And they happen, like, freakishly. All the time. Yeah, you just don't hear about it a whole lot. So, luckily, in this particular case, everyone on board the helicopter survived. So that reminded me of another case that we had covered in Olympic, out of Olympic National Park. It was uh, John Devine, who was 73 years old, and he had gone missing September 7th, 1997. And he had been trying to summit Mount Baldy in Olympic National Park. Failed to show up and was reported missing. And on September 13th, 1997, there were five people on the helicopter when it just... And it was a weird crash, too. They were going to... Just kind of dropped out of the sky. Yeah, well, it it just shot straight up. Like, the pilot had given a signal that he was going to wait five minutes. Because I think the weather was turning, like, which is not... It happens a lot yeah, in these uncommon. cases. Not uncommon. 
but the pilot had signaled that he was going to wait five minutes before actually taking off. And then right after he gave that signal, the helicopter basically just shot straight up in the air and then dropped. And it killed three people on board. That's just insane. Yeah. Three people were killed and, and five were injured. Sorry, I misspoke. There weren't five people total, but five people were injured and three killed in that particular crash. Damn. Yeah. And so, again, that that was another, like, kind of unusual parallel where a search and rescue helicopter totally freaking... Randomly fucks up. Yeah, randomly crashes while searching for this missing person. I mean, it's just it's just weird stuff like that that you just... I don't know. These cases are just odd. And then the these least. areas, how there's many people that go missing in these same areas under mm-hmm. these same circumstances... Very strange. It is. And, yeah, the the whole clusters of people in, in certain areas, yeah. Definitely it's, weird. Uh, yeah, makes you, uh, if, if you go out to any sort of national park or national forest, uh, stick with your friends. Stick with your family. You know, don't go off alone. Yeah. It's, it's always best to tell somewhere. And if you do want to go alone, I mean, just make sure that you uh, have somebody that knows where you are even if you're with a group of people have somebody else on the outside that knows your itinerary yeah yeah. just because it's like the smart thing to do i mean yeah you just just have your have your you got to utilize the buddy system like um my sister-in-law is one person that i usually give my itinerary to anytime i'm going on a road trip with my kids and then nate is like my uh, national park buddy yeah yeah and i mean i i'm his too like when we're gonna be going somewhere i i tell them like where where we're gonna be going and i kind of give like a a time to like okay like i should call or text you by this time and if you don't hear anything by this time then call the park services yeah call the park (laughs) services because something's going on i we i mean i me just being who i am as a person and always kind of like running behind schedule and everything i I allow for some buffer time like okay i'm planning to be back by this time but yeah (laughs) give it an extra six hours until you um you know sound the alarm send out the cavalry (laughs) but yeah it's always just a good idea to do that because you know i mean 99 percent of the time you're going to be just fine but sometimes people aren't yeah and they disappear yeah and and these disappearances maybe nothing there can be no, nothing can be done about them, but you know. Yeah, I mean, it, I can't really say like what can you do about uh, you know, the Earth uh, swallowing you up and spitting you out into another dimension. I mean, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Not a whole lot to be done about that. And again, I mean, that's not. <laughs> that's just uh, some people's best guess or a guess. Yep, no one, no one really knows what's going on. Yeah, and we we haven't figured it out for sure. If you would like to read more about it, again, go to canammissing.com. That's C-A-N-A-M-M-I-S-S-I-N-G.com. And you can get all his books there. And you can also pick up, uh, I think you can get the documentaries there as well. And I think his YouTube channel is also just canammissing.com. It's called Can Am Missing Project. Oh, Can Am Missing Project. Okay, yes. Yes, and there's. It looks like he about once, maybe twice a week, he uploads stuff. So there you go. 
Yeah, he talks quite extensively. Some other online resources. Um, well, first of all, um, my, my sources would be the uh, the missing four one one North America and beyond. Also, the Kitsapsun dot com, Coloradoan. I think that's how you say it. Sure, <laughs> Coloradoan dot com, and then another. Uh, kind of good centralized place, and I think they they also draw a lot from uh, missing four one one and Canam missing project is uh on Facebook. They I I think they have a website that goes out of um Facebook, so they have they have a website and then also a Facebook page, and it's called strangeoutdoors.com, and they have uh, a lot of these. Uh, weird missing people or missing and found under weird circumstances stories on their website and on their Facebook page. So they, they've been a good resource as well. And as you all know, you can find us anywhere we're at by searching for Stranger Than or Stranger Than Podcast. You can also find us at our podcast syndicate page, which is ageofradio.org slash stranger than. Check out ageofradio.org and you can see all their fun other podcasts on there and they've got some merch to sell and all kinds of fun stuff you can also join our patreon patreon.com slash stranger than podcast for one dollar a month we will enjoy your dollar for two dollars a month you get our regular episodes ad free and for five dollars a month you also get a bonus true crime episode every month obviously ad free and with that i guess we'll talk to you next time and stay strange Oh, yeah, and happy 100th to us. Yeah, we rock.